Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Joining me today is Austin Berg, Vice President of Marketing at the Illinois Policy Institute. At the beginning of 2022, nearly 300 new laws will take effect here in Illinois. Austin's going to walk us through some of the wins we saw this past year, and he'll explain what it takes to affect change in Springfield. Austin, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here. So we're about to talk about lemonade stands, and it feels (laughs) a little weird to talk about a lemonade stand in December because it's really cold. Is it cold by you? It's uh, very cold, and all my patio furniture was blown off my patio yesterday. That wind was crazy. Um, All right. So the reason that I bring up lemonade is that, as I mentioned, we're going to see a bunch of new bills take effect on January 1st, 2022. And one of them is a bill that you are closely connected with. It's called Haley's Law. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So Haley's Law is named after a really inspiring young woman named Haley Martinez. It's spelled Martinez, but they pronounce it Martinez accent on the A. And uh, Haley's from Kankakee, Illinois, and she and her mom, Iva, live in a pretty difficult neighborhood. They often encounter violence in their neighborhood and um, vandalism at their home, things of this nature. And in general, um, her childhood has been pretty tough, but she's an extraordinary young woman. She's really smart. She's really personable. She's an entrepreneur. She, did, she has her own, she does DJ gigs. She does singing. But one of her most successful things that she's done is start a lemonade stand. And so she started Haley Bug Lemonade with her mom a couple of years ago to raise money for uh, her college fund. She was, I believe, 13 when she's 12 or 13 when she started her lemonade stand. And it was going great. People were, it's very good lemonade. I've had it. Uh, people were, were lining up to get it. Construction workers on their breaks, people in the neighborhood. Uh, she would play music while she was serving the lemonade. It was a really popular local institution. And uh, unfortunately, the local health department got wind that Haley's mom's home did not have running water. They had their water shut off because they couldn't pay their water bill. And for that reason, or that's the reason that they cited, um, they shut down Haley's lemonade stand. And her mom, Iva, uh, was profiled in a local paper And then she actually reached out to us. Um, And one cool thing I think about working at Illinois Policy is because our stories reach so many people, we often get some of our most successful ones are people who come to us with problems that we would have never even known about if we were just a traditional news organization or traditional think tank. And this was one of those times. Uh, So I went down to Kankakee uh, two years ago in the summer and spoke with Iva and Haley and did a profile on them and their story. And it's one of those stories that's so, you rarely get this in kind of our field, I feel, I feel like. Um, it's just inarguable. She shouldn't have had her lemonade stand shut down. She was doing something positive for her community. There was no safety risk. They were getting water from the store. They were using bottled water anyway for all their stuff. They weren't using water from their home. Um, And it was just a really very simply put sort of good versus evil story of this innocent young woman who's trying to make a future for herself versus a local government that's completely out of touch with her. So that story, um, there was a big outpouring of support for her. I want to say we 
raised five to $10,000 in her scholarship fund, just off email solicitations. Like people really connected with her and her story. There are people who are reaching out saying, I'd love to mentor her as an entrepreneur. It was really cool. Uh, the outpouring of support for her, but the best support was came in the form of a bill called Haley's law. It was introduced by Senator Patrick Joyce, who's her local state Senator. And it essentially says local governments can't shut down child run businesses. Um, in, in this space, sort of like beverage, food and beverage space. So it's like a lemonade stand protection law, essentially. No longer should any kid have to fear having their small business shut down because of where they come from or their circumstances. So that law was introduced and passed, actually, I believe unanimously in both the House and the Senate and on a bipartisan basis. So um, Haley has an awesome success story. And starting this year, next summer, right now, I don't think God bless any kid who's like doing a lemonade stand at 60 mile an hour winds when it's, when it's cold outside. Um, but uh, no, no child in the state will have to fear uh, their business getting shut down next summer. It's hard to imagine being the grown up who had to go to Haley's house and tell her to shut it down. I, oh, I've, that's funny you mentioned that. I was always thinking about the same, that same thing because there's some weird thing that happens, I think, when you're part in this. We've seen this. You and I have worked on stuff at the city level, too, where, where this happens in Chicago, where there's this weird disconnect between, like, that health inspector would have gladly bought lemonade from her stand, I'm sure. But for some reason, like, this, there's this mentality switch where uh, this rule might be being broken, so we need to just shut it all down. We can't have this sort of risk. And who knows what the actual reason was. But, yeah, I think that was part of the reason people were so angry about what happened to Haley is they could never envision themselves going and telling some, some girl in a poor community that they can't sell lemonade. It just seems kind of monstrous. We've worked on a lot of these stories where we see people pursuing entrepreneurship as a way to improve their circumstances. This is a great example. Haley's mother literally couldn't pay her water bills. Haley was working to raise money for herself and her family. Um, and it, it really is sad when rules get in the way of, of people improving their situation. Um, it, and I, I think it's really cool that you mentioned that it was the local lawmaker who backed Haley's law. How did that come about? Do you think that it was because of the publicity around her story that he realized what was going on? Or what other insight can you share on that? Yeah, definitely. So I think what's one thing that's cool about these stories, Haley's mom, Iva, reached out to us after the law passed and she said, man, we felt like we were alone. You know, everybody was breathing down our necks. We felt totally victimized. But as soon as the story was told, and it wasn't just Illinois policy, we were part of it, but they local news profiled them like they had, you know, TV news at their house and stuff. They were like, once Illinois policy was there, like it felt like we had someone had our back and people started respecting us. Um, and I think that was probably, I don't think we even had to have any direct conversations with Senator Joyce. It was something that happened in his community. There's a very clear solution. He proposed it. Uh, we backed that and gave tons of love to that, to that bill. Haley gave an awesome speech that I would encourage anyone to look up. If you just look up Haley, H-A-Y-L-I, uh, Martinez, Illinois, she gave a speech. She went down to Springfield herself and gave this amazing speech, uh, in front of, of, lawmakers, there's this one moment that was so fantastic where one lawmaker said, uh, you know, what is it? Do you know, do you feel bad or something about like selling these sugary drinks? And she goes, ma'am, 
it's not sugar it's honey and she did that as like you know she had her like her black like buckle shoes on she was just like she was like annie or something like she was just like out of a movie um but yeah so it, it's so hard when you have a messenger like that going down to springfield for a lawmaker to be like eh, like i don't know if this is <laughs> such a good idea um you know like uh, what i was saying before it's kind of inarguable and it's very the moral high ground uh is so clear in a story like that so i think once the bill was introduced it would have been very hard to stop you have been a part of two really cool, well, three if you count what we did with food carts in Chicago, but at the state level, two really amazing wins for individuals. So Haley's Law, um, which takes effect this year, and then uh, the bill that you fought for alongside Lisa Creason. Um, and so I guess we can talk a little bit more about Lisa's story too, but before we do that, I'd be really interested to hear your analysis as far as what it takes to go from you know problem to legislative solution taking effect, what are the steps that it takes in between to affect change? I think the John Tillman has, has said this before, but the power of a group like ours, power of a think tank, is delivering the right message to the right audience at the right time to compel action. So what's really easy if you start with stories of people who are suffering under a very specific policy provision. The message is, this person is really suffering. This is to the general public. This person's really suffering an unfair, unjust outcome. The way to fix it is contacting your lawmaker about this issue. You can do that and help Lisa and help Haley today. That's delivering the right message to the right audience at the right time to compel action. And by the way, it's urgent. Like We need you to do this now. So that's on the general public side. On the lawmaker side, it's very similar. Uh, the right message. So, you know, what's tell the truth about what's happening to this person, whether it's in their district or not, how is it affecting their district? Um, very critically, and this is something we learned, I feel like uh, two years ago, we really changed our legislative strategy to better account for this. It's such a, there's, there's so many social dynamics within the general assembly where lawmakers really, really care about which other lawmakers are sponsoring bills. So there's a lot of signaling there. And the right message in that sense is, do you have the right sponsor? Uh, oftentimes bills that are passing uh, in the current general assembly are sponsored by Democrats who have sponsored many bills in the past and been successful. And people want to get on those bills that are successful and they see people who they, uh, they perceive as leaders in their caucus getting on that makes them want to get on. They really don't even have to think about it. It's just the most expedient choice. So in both cases, it's right message to right audience at the right time to compel an action. And that takes work from all sorts of different teams. It could be uh, getting earned media on the issue in a lawmaker's district. It could be just direct lobbying. We have people down in Springfield who are talking to lawmakers every day of session and building relationships with them so that when something like this comes up, it's a very natural conversation to say, hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this story? You know, did uh, What do you think about this? Uh, and you have it on the policy research side too. So there could have been a version of Haley's Law that was really silly, like only licensed, you know, lemonade stands or something should be able to operate in the state of Illinois. So you need to have the, the research and bill writing capability there, but it all comes back to, do you have the right message? Is it being given to the right people at the right time? And do you have some way for people to take a meaningful action to solve it? How did we allow people to take action in the instance of Haley's law? Haley's law, 
was a really interesting case because you didn't even really have to generate tons of grassroots support for it because there was no, the opposition was like, <laughs> there was no body mounting serious opposition to this little girl, you know? Um, with something like Lisa, that was a lot different because it involved healthcare, which is super, super highly regulated, criminal justice, which is a really hot button issue where you needed that grassroots support to kind of push things across the finish line. Um, I think similarly, when we look at this upcoming year, uh, preserving our school choice program, investing kids uh, that you've talked about on this podcast before, that's going to take people reaching out to their lawmakers because you're going to have to match or exceed the opposition who's going to be contacting their lawmakers about that, that lawmakers will be feeling heat about it. But in the absence of something that's like really controversial or, you know, it's a certain constituency is really opposed to it. Oftentimes it's about just delivering the right message to lawmakers. Um, in Haley's case, I think there was two goals. It was one, get the local, get her up and running as soon as possible. You kind of got to shame the local government into like, are you really going to go after this? Like there's state national media attention. Like she was getting profiled in the New York times after this all happened. Uh, do, is that really what you want? So again, like what her mom said, like, does someone have our back? That was the first goal for the general public. But then it was really just about letting the legislature do its thing uh, with that bill and defend her. There's this feeling, um, I think a lot of people feel this way, where you hear that 300 bills passed the General Assembly that are going to take effect January 1st, 2022. And a lot of them are good. I mean, Haley's Law is one of those examples that's just very easy to understand this is good. This is a good change. Um, but the other bills, even if some of them are, are good or fine or whatever, people are left scratching their heads and saying, okay, you did all of this work, Springfield. Where are we at on the things that we really, really need to get down to business on, like pension reform, or like you mentioned, making sure that kids have access to tax credit scholarships? Um, why how do you think the equation's different? Because you did talk about right message, right audience, right time. How is the equation different for some of these bigger issues? That's a great question. Um, it, so first, just on the volume of bills, I think that's actually, that's a really big problem. So like for Lisa's story, which was mom committed a crime when she was a teenager, got out of prison, turned her life around, did amazing things for her community, wanted to move into a better neighborhood, uh, earn more for her family and serve in the healthcare profession, went to school for seven years to become a registered nurse, passed all of her tests, got amazing reviews from all of her teachers. And then the state told her that she could not be a nurse. They called her and said, you cannot get this license. That only happened because of a law that under everyone's nose had passed two years before she graduated. And lawmakers that she spoke with didn't even know what they had voted on. So oftentimes these things just sort of just slip through. And that's why we have a team that reviews every bill that's introduced uh, without noticing. And then it's very hard to go back and fix them, which I think is a very good case to make for, is there a sunset provision or an automatic review process for every one of these bills that get, gets passed? Because otherwise you just have a constantly escalating pile of tangled mess of different sorts of laws affecting different things. Um, that could have really bad unintended outcomes like it did with Lisa. For big issues like school choice, pension reform, uh, what's another one? 
the campaign that we did to educate folks around Speaker Madigan or the progressive tax. That is similarly about finding the correct message. For example, on school choice, uh, Frank Luntz has done amazing polling research on that, where he talks about parents not wanting anything to do with a market, custom, words like customization, flexibility, um, competition, they're not interested in any of that when it comes to their kids' education. What they're interested in with their kids' education is, are they being prepared for uh, college or career? Are they being resilient, taught how to be resilient and how to love learning? And do they have access to the best education for them? Those are the types of words that you want to use. And we've, I've worked on school choice campaigns in other states uh, this year. And universally, the, the places that focus on telling parents, hey, you deserve to have the best education for your kid. No kid should be trapped in a school that is not working for them. Messages like that are much more important to deliver to people than other messages that are still true, like in an open marketplace of competition, the best schools will rise to the top and it'll create innovation and flexibility. You know, all those things are true to some extent, but it's not the message you should lead with. And it's not a message that is going to compel action from anybody. There's not a, an angle of fairness or justice that really inspires people to care about that issue. It, it seems more like, you know, signing a petition to get three more kinds of cereal at the supermarket. Like no one cares about that. Um, but if it's like, you know, if it's Haley's lemonade and the grocery store says, no, she got set down by the city and we're not going to allow her, her lemonade in our grocery store, then people are like, oh, okay time to take action for that. So it's about having the right message. And then it's about having over time, being able to distribute that message to the right people. Madigan is a great example of this. This challenge with him is many people didn't know who he was by design. People who did know who he was, uh, didn't approve of his policy choices, uh, really by like a two to one margin, but the plurality of people for many years did not know who he was according to public polling. So our job job was a large scale media and marketing campaign around educating people about who this is, um, upping the awareness of him and the power that he's built. And then naturally um, people could take action to contact their lawmakers. And of course the outcome of that was democratic lawmakers felt more afraid of their constituents for the first time than they did of the speaker, which is why he left. So similarly, it's about getting to that point on these big issues where lawmakers feel more pressure from their constituents uh, than they do from a special interest group that has something to lose. It's really interesting, this idea of the right message, especially on these bigger fights. So we spend so much time thinking about and working on uh, pension reform and balancing the budget and all of these important fiscal issues. And I was at a Christmas party the other weekend just talking to a bunch of moms. Um, and I live in the Chicago suburbs, of course. So we're hanging out talking and this one, one mom pulls me aside and she goes, Hey, I listened to your podcast the other day. And she starts talking to me about how she never realized how much of the money that we spend on education actually gets diverted away from the classroom and actually gets wasted, not wasted. You know, it gets diverted away and spent on pensions and administrative bloat. And 
that was such an aha moment for me because we always, this is what you and I do. We're always doing, reading up on the research. We're always writing about the issues. And then it is this challenge of, you know, putting our work out there and getting feedback from people to figure out what people actually care about, because this does affect you, me, my neighbors, everyone in the state. Um, but how do they feel it? And it was really interesting to hear this feedback that this mother of school age kids was not happy that the money she thinks is going to her kid's school is actually going to people. She never elected people who are not going to teach her kids and for retirements that she couldn't dream of herself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it goes back to speaking about policy in the language that most people consume or that our target audience consumes. So I think a lot of people forget almost no one knows who their state lawmaker is. Almost no one understands how their property taxes are connected to anything else. It's just that they know that they're high. Uh, almost no one knows that Illinois even has a school choice program. Uh, no one knows that lawmakers passed a tier two pension reform in 2011 uh, that has different benefits than tier one. So that's at once a challenge and an opportunity because we're able to bubble up issues and create large awareness about them in ways that many other organizations cannot do. But it's very important to raise that awareness in the right way, where you're framing the issue properly, people have the information they need, and then they are compelled. They, are, they, they can't do anything else but take this very simple, easy action of signing a petition, contacting their lawmaker, and voting. Uh, and people often forget that, that voting step. They think it often doesn't matter in Illinois. Well, Austin, I um, really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through this Haley win and the anatomy of change in Springfield. And I'm looking forward to working with you in 2022 on a bunch more good stuff. So thank you so much for your time. You too. Happy holidays you to too. all the Policy Shop listeners. Yes. Happy holidays, Policy Shop folks. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit illinoispolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.